Looks like it's duck season. Actually, it's accountability season. Welcome to it. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. That's why. I got the feeling that something ain't right. You know what I mean? I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me. Jokers to the right. Here I am. Stuck in the middle. I am from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO and Eugene's KEPW. Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Hope you guys are all okay today. Down in New Orleans on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square, Radio Detour Talk, and most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us for what is now beginning to seem like, feel like, accountability season. Finally, really just beginning to kick off as I see it. And we've got several stories for you today on that front. And it's about damn time it for is, accountability. Ain't it, though? Ain't it, though? Hi, Desi Doyne. Hi. Uh, we'll see how many of those stories we can actually get to today. There's quite a few of them. As detailed on yesterday's show, however, it is always climate season these days, it seems. Yes, yes, as, sadly. Yeah, as uh, record heat and rainfall and flooding are happening, as our guest uh, climate and energy reporter Andrew Friedman described it on yesterday's broadcast, everything, everywhere, all at once. So that's why I uh, got you folks, particularly up in the uh, Northeast, on my mind today. I know you've had... Oh, just a little bit of rain in uh, over the past uh, day or so. Uh, in the U.S. today, the worst of it seems to be the sweltering heat wave in the southwest, including Phoenix, where temperatures have been over 110 degrees now for at least 13 days in a row, with that heat wave now moving out west towards us here in Southern California. Oh, goody. Uh, And, of course, up in the northeast, where deadly hurricane-like downpours have inundated uh, New York's Hudson Valley up through much of New England, including Vermont, where a downpour rivaling 2011's Hurricane Irene 
at least when it comes to the amount of rainfall, that's now resulted in more than 100 emergency rescues by boat and helicopter, according to officials up there, and uh, where the Montpelier Dam is now dangerously nearing capacity. So, yeah, always climate season. More on those disasters and uh, too many others, frankly, a bit later in Desi's very first Green News report uh, since returning from last week's holiday. Yes, and unfortunately, there's a lot to cover. Yep. Uh, In the meantime, yes, a long overdue accountability season seems to finally be beginning in earnest. Fortunately, for those of us who still believe in the rule of law and the Constitution and law and order and those, you know, those things that the Republican Party used to sort of quaintly pretend that they gave a damn about. Uh, well, despite you know squeals and screams from the GOP, the actual bad guys appear to be in, uh, well, pretty bad trouble this season. While the GOP's pretend bad guys, who Republicans have been trying to sort of make a case against since Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani decided to focus on Joe Biden's son as a way to somehow win the 2020 election. Spoiler alert, it didn't work. Well, their pretend accountability cases seem to be falling apart before our very eyes and kind of hilariously, frankly. Yesterday, we talked about the news uh, about one of several so-called whistleblowers who Republicans claim have damning evidence revealing that Joe Biden and his son Hunter have been in criminal cahoots on a long-running bribery scheme with foreign countries like China or something. But those promised whistleblowers who Republicans like House Judiciary Chair Jim Jordan, House Oversight Chair James Comer, they they have uh, cited these whistleblowers, but so far they have not really panned out just as well as Republicans might have hoped. Yesterday, we noted a uh, a letter. We reported on a letter sent to Republican South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham by Delaware's Donald Trump appointed and Joe Biden retained U.S. attorney David Weiss. The letter to Graham from Weiss was in response to claims from one of the GOP's so-called IRS whistleblowers who had claimed that uh, U.S. Attorney Weiss had been uh, somehow forced by Attorney General Merrick Garland to go easy on Hunter Biden in Weiss's long-running investigation of the president's son, which actually began under the uh, Donald Trump administration. Now, Hunter Biden was eventually charged several weeks ago on two misdemeanors for underpaying his taxes. But as TPM's Josh Marshall described what came to light from this letter sent from Weiss to Graham on Monday, for the better part of two weeks, writes Josh, the national press was consumed by House Republican claims that there was a cover up in the investigation of the president's son and that the investigation had essentially been shut down by DOJ political appointees. The claims were centered on Weiss uh, as a sort of muzzled, reluctant whistleblower, as characterized by the IRS whistleblower. Weiss, in fact, was appointed by President Trump and left in place by the Biden Justice Department in order to avoid the appearance 
of any attempt to interfere with the Hunter Biden investigation. But now Weiss has stated unambiguously that none of the claims being made from the right, from this IRS, supposed IRS whistleblower, are actually true. He never requested, for example, to become a special counsel, which would have allowed him to uh, bring charges in other states or something. And he was never blocked from bringing any charges anywhere or investigating any aspect of the Hunter Biden case. Now, the same House Republicans are forced to claim that the purportedly muzzled and overruled Weiss is actually a liar. And in fact, he's in now on a broader cover-up of the whole scheme. See, they're all part of the conspiracy. Including the U.S. attorney that was hired by Donald Trump. As uh, Josh notes, perhaps it's true that Weiss, a respected career prosecutor who was actually appointed by Trump, is in fact a central player in covering up the corruption of the so-called Biden crime family. <laughs> but to think uh, so is to insist, albeit tacitly, that only an investigation that validated House Republicans' wild and evidence-free hyperbole could ever be seen as legitimate by them. It's the same old story, he writes. A new set of wildly improbable Republican claims advanced with no evidence, driving the national news cycle for weeks before predict predictably being shown to be baseless. Same old story indeed. How Ladder, many rinse, repeat. Yeah, how many times are the corporate media going to fall for it every time now if you, had, if, uh, if you hadn't heard about any of any of this nonsense in recent weeks until i offered some specifics about it yesterday on the broadcast well congratulations it means you're not being sucked in by the dumb national corporate media who still seem to chase any nonsense that house republicans decide to pretend that they have on joe biden even when there is no actual legitimate evidence in support of this nonsense. Now, if you had heard about all of that uh, before I uh, discussed it, well, you will probably be amused to hear a related-ish follow-up to that story, which broke shortly after we got off air last night. If you follow these uh, House GOP Trump trash, uh, Hunter Biden conspiracies, you may remember another supposed whistleblower above and beyond that IRS whistleblower that Republicans in Congress, particularly James Comer, remember the chair of the House Oversight Committee, had claimed this whistleblower had the goods on just massive crimes by Joe Biden and that this whistleblower was ready to testify, ready to spill all the beans, but had suddenly turned up missing disappeared and so they couldn't actually interview the guy in the US house well here's comer on the uh the far right newsmax media outlet just 3 days ago discussing this supposed whistleblower a reportedly very distinguished individual with impeccable credentials in the intelligence community a dude by the name of Gail Luft chairman of house oversight congressman James Comer joins me now. Sir, good to have you back on. Tell us uh, about this man. The Post describes him as well-connected in intelligence circles in Washington, D.C., where he ran a think tank, the Institute for the Analysis of Global Security, with former CIA Director James Woolsey and former National Security Advisor Robert McFarlane as advisors. That's who this man is. He's not just some 
weird guy that popped up out of nowhere. No, he's very credible, and the people on MSNBC who made fun of me when I said uh, we had an informant that was missing, they should feel like fools right now. They are fools. Uh, and this is their worst nightmare because, uh, again, this is a credible witness that the FBI flew all the way to Brussels to interview and sent several agents to interview. So we feel that this is a very credible witness. We feel that this is someone that uh, we need to talk to. Uh, in our investigation, someone we will communicate with in our investigation. We're going to request the notes from the FBI meeting from the FBI. That is forthcoming. Uh, we want to know uh, why the FBI has never made public this interview. And look, this is a trend. Rob Walker said he met with the FBI and told them very damaging stuff about Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. We know the computer repair guy did. Now we know the IRS whistleblower did. And now Gal Luff did. But what did the FBI do? You know, our sources in the FBI, the ones that Senator Grassley's worked closely with, say they did nothing. The more people that come forward, the more damaging this is for the Biden family. I just I don't get how they 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 wanted to cover this up. Why? I mean, it's it's, it's like think if you're if, if you were a you know, a, a detective in a small town and there's a serial killer and you figure out who the serial killer is and you just work every day to cover it up. What, what is the motive for the FBI to try and protect this massive influence peddling scheme and all of this money coming in? I mean, this is a vulnerability that, that essentially means that the, the, the Chinese Communist Party, if Gal Luff's accusations are true, and again, there's tons of evidence coming in from all sides that point to the same thing, that the CCP has effectively infiltrated the White House. Why would anybody <laughs> want to cover that up? Why wouldn't you want to put that out in the open, expose that, get rid of that rot? That's a great question. That's a question we're going to continue to ask the FBI. Yeah, keep asking, because that sounds bad. The China has infiltrated the FBI in this massive scheme, a massive cover-up. Oh, yes, do please keep asking questions. But I think we may now know the answer. You heard uh, Comer uh, pu punching back at the, the, the people that made fun of him at MSNBC <laughs> when he, he said that Gal Luft had gone missing, who they must feel like fools now. And the host of that what's guy, Rob Schmidt, I think his name, they are fools, he said. This is their worst nightmare. This is a very credible person, he said. He's, he said this just three days ago on Newsmax. Well... Do they feel like fools now over at MSNBC, or does James Comer and Newsmax feel like fools today? Apparently, the FBI was not trying to cover up a massive influence peddling scheme, at least not by the Bidens. Uh, and uh, this guy, this so-called whistleblower, is apparently still on the lam, which we know because on Monday night, as it turns out, an eight-count federal indictment was unsealed against the dude. Turns out, according to DOJ, he was actually spying for China and Iran. And uh, this, quote, very credible whistleblower of James Comer turns out to have been allegedly an unlawful arms dealer with a whole bunch of autocratic nations. Oh, hello. So do you see why we try to not waste your time covering this stuff as the mainstream corporate media is, is falling for it day after day? Unless, you know, and until there is actual evidence to support actual claims. As reported by The Independent in the UK, which is a right-wing outlet itself, a, quote, 
whistleblower who has reportedly accused the Bidens of corruption has been charged by the Justice Department with arms trafficking, acting as a foreign agent for China, and violating Iran sanctions. That's the very credible whistleblower that James Comer and the other putts from Newsmax Newsmax, was talking about. Uh, Gail Luft, who is a citizen of both the U.S. and Israel, is accused of paying a former advisor to Donald Trump on behalf of principals in China back in 2016 without registering as a foreign agent. That's the guy they claim has the evidence that Joe Biden was paid millions by China somehow while serving as vice president and have now infiltrated the White House. And that guy has been on the lam ever since. Prosecutors say that uh, Mr. Luft pushed a former government employee to push policies that were favorable to China. They also allege that he set up meetings between officials of Iran and a Chinese energy company to discuss oil deals, which would violate U.S. sanctions. They also allege that Luft, quote, conspired with others and attempted to broker illicit arms transactions in violation of the U.S. Arms Control Act. Specifically, prosecutors say he attempted to broker a sale of anti-tank weapons, grenade launchers, and mortar rounds to Libya by Chinese companies. And also, sounds like a great guy, and also pushed to arrange for the United Arab Emirates to purchase bombs and rockets and for Kenya to acquire unmanned aerial vehicles capable of striking targets on the ground. Mr. Luft, 57 years old, was arrested in Cyprus in February on U.S. charges, but fled after being released on bail while awaiting extradition and is not currently in U.S. custody. So that's why the FBI flew to Cyprus to interview him, Mr. Comer. And that's why they haven't been willing to detail their interview about that uh, with him to Congress, because it was part (laughs) of an ongoing criminal invest prosecution into the guy who Republicans have been relying on as some sort of a courageous whistleblower. (laughs) U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Damian Williams, said in a statement that Luft, quote, engaged in multiple serious criminal schemes. He subverted foreign agent registration laws in the U.S. to seek to promote Chinese policies by acting through a former high-ranking U.S. government official. He acted as a broker in deals for dangerous weapons and Iranian oil, and he told multiple lies about his crimes to law enforcement, according to Williams. As the charges unsealed today reflect, he said, our office will continue to work vigorously with our law enforcement partners to detect and hold accountable those who surreptitiously attempt to perpetrate malign foreign influence campaigns here in the United States. Well, this guy does sound as, uh, how did uh, Comer describe him? Credible. Very credible. (laughs) Very credible person. Uh, The uh, acting assistant director in charge of the FBI's New York field office said Luft had the defendant in uh, had the defendant engaged in multiple schemes to evade sanctions and laws intended to protect our national security. The FBI is determined to defend our nation by enforcing laws designed to promote transparency of foreign influence within the United States. Now, in a bizarre video, apparently first reported by Rupert Murdoch's New York Post, 
Luft said that he is now, quote, being hunted by the very same people who I informed and may have to live on the run for the rest of my life. He added, ask yourself, who is the real criminal in this story? Okay, I will. Uh, Luft said he uh, he jumped bail and fled after his arrest because he didn't believe he could receive a fair trial in New York. So I don't know. I don't know. Who is the real criminal in this story? The executive director of the Congressional Integrity Project, Kyle Herrig, said in a statement that the case of Luft shows there is, quote, nothing more corrupt than the lengths that MAGA Republicans will go to preserve and expand their own power, including consorting with other corrupt actors, even alleged spies for the Chinese Communist Party. Herrig added, uh, do James Comer, Jim Jordan and Kevin McCarthy lack a single ounce of shame? Apparently so, he said. Today's charges add to six months of misery and failure for MAGA Republicans whose political stunts have failed to uncover a single piece of evidence linking President Biden to any wrongdoing whatsoever. on fire! <laughs> yeah. Misery and failure for MAGA Republicans, indeed, on the accountability front. But things do seem to be going a, bit, a little bit better for those pursuing actual evidence of crimes as accountability season begins to get underway for Trump and his henchmen. That's bad news for a whole bunch of Trumpers. That is straight ahead on today's broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever. If you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely, and quickly via brandblog.com slash donate. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. And this is That Season. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. As accountability season begins, well, this should be burned, I suspect, into your brain by now. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have. Mm -hmm. I only need 11,000 votes, fellas. I need 11,000 votes. Give me a break. That's all he's asking for. Come on. Just as not asking you to steal a lot of votes, just 11,000 to steal the election. That was then President Donald Trump on a recorded phone call attempting to strong or strong arm Georgia's Republican secretary of state into stealing the election for him in the peach state on January 2, 2021. Well, 
As noted, accountability season is finally beginning to get underway in the great state of Georgia this week. As the Atlanta Journal-Constitution reports, the selection of two Fulton County grand juries was made on Tuesday, with one of the panels expected to decide whether to hand up an indictment for alleged criminal interference in the 2020 presidential election. One set of jurors is likely to be asked to bring formal charges against former President Trump and other well-known political and legal figures. In a letter to county officials almost two months ago, which actually seems about six months or a year ago. (laughs) I was going to say five years. (laughs) Yeah. District Attorney Fonnie Willis indicated that the indictment could be obtained at some point between July 31 and August 18. So if it takes a couple of weeks to present the case to the grand jurors, well, if they are being seated this week, that'll get us right, uh, right up to the end of the month. Willis began when, you know, theoretically, they'll be able to announce an indictment. Willis began her investigation shortly after hearing that leaked January 2, 2021 phone call in which Trump asked Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, my old friend, to, quote, find the 11,780 votes needed to defeat Biden in Georgia. She later convened a special purpose grand jury. Remember that? (laughs) Which examined evidence, heard testimony over about eight months And in its final report, only part of which has been made public, they recommended multiple people be indicted for alleged crimes. Special special grand juries do not have the ability to uh, uh, vote on indictments. Now we've got regular grand juries that can bring indictments. Each of the two grand jury panels will have 23 grand jurors plus three alternates. One panel will meet on Monday and Tuesdays, according to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The others on Thursdays and Fridays. Both will work in secret. They're expected to decide whether to hand up indictments in hundreds of cases, not only those related to uh, Trump election theft and the conspiracy uh, around that. In other words, they're going to be doing a lot of stuff. We not we're not clear on which of the two grand juries will be asked to bring the uh, charges in the Trump conspiracy case. When a grand jury meets in Atlanta, at least 16 members must be present to conduct business. And then at least 12 grand jurors must vote to bring an indictment. The burden of proof for that, for the grand jury voting to bring an indictment, is much lower than it is for a trial jury to convict or to acquit someone. So... Uh, That's what we'll be dealing with, as the excellent Kate Brumbach of AP reports, Willis's two-and-a-half-year investigation expanded to include an examination of a slate of Republican fake electors, phone calls by Trump and others, others to Georgia officials in the weeks after the 2020 election, and unfounded allegations of widespread election fraud made to state lawmakers. Though Brumbach does not note it here, uh, some have reported that her probe, Fonnie Willis's probe, could also involve the breach of voting system software down in Coffee County, Georgia, which we have spent a great deal of time 
on this program and at bradblog.com reporting on. We were, in fact, the first broadcast outlet to do so, in fact, uh, at some point last year. And, yes, we are still digging into that matter and what the uh, state's Republican Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, actually knew about that breach, what he knew about it, and when he knew about it. But that's for another day for now. Uh, Fonnie Willis, the district attorney, sent letters last summer warning certain people, including the state's fake electors and the former New York City mayor, Rudy Giuliani, that uh, letters that they could face charges in this case. Some of the fake electors have since uh, reached immunity deals with Willis's team, though not the ones who were involved in the Coffee County breach, by the way. Willis hasn't said one way or another whether she would seek charges against Trump. She has said repeatedly, however, that no one is above the law. And uh, if you'll recall, the foreman from the special grand jury last year had said that, oh, people are going to. I guess she sort of said they'll be surprised and not surprised yeah. about uh, who who they recommended in any event for charges. Willis does not have to take the recommendations of the special grand jury. AP notes that Willis, however, is a fan of Georgia's Racketeer-Influenced and Corrupt Organizations, or RICO Act, and that there have been hints that she will use that in this case. The RICO Act allows prosecutors to bring charges against multiple people that they believe committed separate crimes while working toward a common goal. So there could be a whole bunch of indictments here. If so, even for folks like Senator Lindsey Graham, who reportedly attempted to strong arm Raffensperger into tossing out hundreds of thousands of votes. Don't want you to get your hopes up because who knows what's actually what, you know, Fonnie Willis is actually going to ask for and what the grand jury will uh, agree to bring indictments on. But it could be quite broad. Members of the grand jury are allowed to question witnesses. Witnesses in this case are usually prosecutors or a team of prosecutors who present the evidence that they have collected throughout the investigation. After the case has been presented to a grand jury, only members of the grand jury can be in the room for deliberations. They discuss the case and then they vote on whether to return a, quote, true bill or a, quote, no bill. A true bill means the grand jurors have voted to indict because they think there's probable cause to believe that the person accused committed the alleged crimes. All it needs to be is probable cause that that crimes were committed. The actual trial juror, uh, jury will have to uh, decide whether the person uh, committed the crimes beyond a reasonable doubt. And all of them will have to agree, as I understand it, whereas here they only have to have 12 of the 23 person grand jury agree to uh, return a so-called true bill. Yeah. So different standards for the grand jury than when you get to the trial jury. If a grand jury votes to bring the charges, it's filed with the clerk's office. It pub- becomes a public document. Soon thereafter, those charges will be booked. Uh, those who, who have been charged will be booked and have their first court appearances. If the grand jury votes against indicting anyone, prosecutors can present the case a second time to a different grand jury. 
But if two grand juries vote not to indict on the same charges, prosecutors generally cannot try again to get an indictment on those charges in Georgia. Trump has already been indicted twice himself this year in other cases. He, uh, you may recall, faces 34 felony charges in New York state related to a hush money scheme to help him win the 2016 presidential election by paying off women with whom he'd had uh, affairs to keep them quiet. You know, things that, again, Republicans used to care about. How outrageous. I should say they used to pretend to care about. Maybe so. Trump also faces 37 felony charges in federal court in Florida related to hoarding classified documents and refusing demands to give them back to the government in violation of the Espionage Act. If you're keeping score at home, Donald Trump currently faces personally 71 criminal felony counts as he remains the Republican Party frontrunner for the 2024 nomination, and he may soon be facing uh, more such charges by the end of the summer. But he is still the frontrunner for the Law and Order Party. Classy. (laughs) The Republican Party. In addition, uh, of course, Jack Smith, the special counsel, is also investigating Trump's efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election in multiple states, as well as the events uh, leading up to and surrounding the uh, January 6th insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. In the meantime... Uh, We began calling uh, pretty early after the uh, 2020 election for Trump's attorneys to be held accountable for their part in his attempt to steal the 2020 election. Uh, You know, attorneys, officers of the court should have known better than to do what they did. But the people that the clowns that uh, Donald Trump was able to find beginning with Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, etc. Apparently, they either didn't know better or they didn't care. So when it comes to accountability for these attorneys, we ha- we've had some news on that in recent days, some of which happened while we were off last week. So let's get cut up on that. A uh, committee of the D.C. Bar said on Friday that Rudy Giuliani should be disbarred for bringing, quote, frivolous and destructive cases falsely alleging voter fraud in the 2020 election. But that uh, determination is not yet the final stop in this multi-year saga over Giuliani's role in filing phony lawsuits seeking to invalidate huge numbers of votes in service of Trump's attempt to reverse his 2020 loss by stealing the election from Joe Biden and the American people. The report on Friday, however, out of D.C., formalizes and details what the panel already had decided last year that Giuliani should, in fact, be disbarred in the District of Columbia. The recommendation now goes to the D.C. Bar's Board of Professional Responsibility and then finally to the Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. So they sure do give uh, bad lawyers a lot of chances to make their case, don't yeah, they? Yeah, that seems a little unfair to the rest of us. W- I know. Would would you get that many chances if you were so purposely disingenuous in, uh, well, in your job, in anything you did? Or would you just be fired, end of story? 
The report, released on Friday, focuses specifically on a lawsuit that Giuliani filed in Pennsylvania where he claimed uh, that, quote, systemic voter fraud should block the state from certifying the results there. Quote, he claimed massive election fraud but had no evidence of it. By prosecuting that destructive case, Mr. Giuliani, a sworn officer of the court, forfeited his right to practice law, the report reads. The panel found that Giuliani violated two rules of professional conduct. That's all. One having to do with bringing a frivolous proceeding, quote, when he had no factual basis and no legitimate legal grounds to do so. And another related to conduct, quote, prejudicial to the administration of law. The committee said it did consider Giuliani's past in their uh, considerations here, including his uh, mayorality of New York City, his presence during 9-11 and his work for the Justice Department in the 1980s. But the panel found, quote, that all happened long ago, unquote. Here they noted he, quote, sought to disrupt a presidential election and persists in his refusal to acknowledge the wrong that he has done. If disbarred, the 79-year-old Giuliani would be prohibited from practicing law in the District of Columbia. He's already prohibited from practicing law in New York after a New York court last year suspended his law license in the state for making false statements about the 2020 election. The D.C. board stated that Giuliani's misconduct, quote, sadly transcends all his past accomplishments. They are correct. Yeah. Moreover, Lynn Wood, a prominent right-wing attorney and election denier, has now given up his law license in an apparent move to stave off disciplinary proceedings tied to his attempts to overturn the 2020 election on Donald Trump's behalf. If you don't know him, Lynn Wood was very much involved with Sidney Powell and Rudy Giuliani and the rest of the scammy Trump lawyers attempting to steal the 2020 election before they all sort of started turning on each other. Lynn Wood uh, really turned on Sidney Powell. Oh, he definitely did. And he's one of the nuttier ones when you see some of the public statements that he made. That's a very nice way to put it. Yes. Uh, yeah, he may be actually mentally ill. He is apparently being allowed to formally retire, however, from practicing law rather than face disbarment. And the uh, disciplinary cases against him in Georgia, at least, are now being dismissed. That, according to court filings and a letter that Wood sent to the state bar last week, his retirement is, quote, unqualified, irrevocable and permanent, the court filings state. In his letter that he released on July 4, uh, he noted, pursuant to state bar rule uh, 1202F, I hereby request that I be permitted to transfer to retired status effective immediately. I understand that this request is unqualified, irrevocable, and permanent. I further understand and acknowledge that if granted retired status, I am prohibited from practicing law in this state and in any other state or jurisdiction, and that I may not apply for readmission. The State Bar of Georgia Council has confirmed that I remain free to represent myself, pro se, uh, now and in the future, as long as I do not use my bar number in the uh, or the name L. Linwood PC in any such matter. 
Wood had filed a series of meritless lawsuits after the uh, 2020 election, a lot of debunked theories about massive fraud. You know, same old story. An attorney representing the state bar of Georgia wrote in response in a court filing, quote, by permitting Wood to transfer to retired status and thereby prohibiting Wood from practicing law in this state or any other uh, state or jurisdiction. The Office of General Counsel believes it has achieved the goals of disciplinary action, including protecting the public and in, and the integrity of the judicial system and the legal profession. Do you agree with that? That by allowing Lynn Wood to simply retire rather yep. than face any other kind of, uh, I don't know, criminal or civil liability or and punishment? And that, that has, uh, well, uh, no, at least a record pays, clean. Uh, well, and not his entire record, it, it, as far as disbarment goes. Yeah. He can still be, uh, he's still facing uh, other uh, sanctions and so forth, I believe up in Michigan and elsewhere. Okay. But as far as practicing law, he is done. He can't do it in Georgia or anywhere else. Well, that I definitely agree with. Well, you know, he makes the case here that the uh, this is Robert uh, Remar, the uh, representing the uh, state bar of Georgia, that disbarment wasn't necessary because they have protected the public and the integrity of the judicial of the judicial system and the legal profession. I disagree with that. Letting him off with simple retirement, I believe, sullies the legal profession. It says mm. basically you can do anything you want and then just retire at the end without facing any actual accountability for it. Especially in Georgia, Wood was licensed there for years. Now he's going to be allowed to retire comfortably. By the way, in South Carolina, where he uh, not uh, long ago purchased three former plantations totaling more than $16 million that he can now enjoy mm. in his retirement. Good point. In a Telegram post uh, last week, Wood said, quote, anyone who suggests that my voluntary retirement from the Georgia bar was out of fear of disbarment does not know me or has not followed me very long. Uh, he followed that up with saying today, in all caps, I am retired. The state bar of Georgia has agreed to drop the disciplinary cases against me in return for my agreement to take status of retired. So he's, yeah, he's sort of mocking the bar here. Yeah, that's true. Nice work, guys. But yeah, uh, sure, let him retire in peace at his uh, his retirement compound in South Carolina. This is sort of like an arsonist who says, you know, uh, really, I promise I will never burn anything down again. Therefore, there is no need to hold me accountable for those deadly fires that I previously set. Right? Give me a break. In addition to Wood's retirement and Giuliani's suspended New York license in 2021 and his likely disbarment in D.C. this year, Another pro-Trump attorney, John Eastman, he's currently in the middle of a disciplinary trial out here in uh, under the California bar for attempting to subvert Congress's election certification on January 6th. He faces 11 disciplinary charges from the development of his so-called legal strategy, trying to get Mike Pence to block the certification of Biden's victories, a victory. This was a scheme rejected by Pence and repeatedly found to have been unlawful and or unconstitutional. But John Eastman was very key to everything that happened on January 6th. According to CNN, these and other lawyers in Trump's orbit are also being scrutinized by uh, special counsel Jack Smith 
into uh, the Trump team's wide-ranging attempts to steal the 2020 election and interfere with the lawful transfer of power. And so, uh, yeah, these attorneys are finally paying a long overdue price. One other uh, story of accountability today for uh, Trump henchmen. A New York judge late last week ordered deadbeat former Trump campaign CEO and fired and then pardoned White House advisor Steve Bannon to pay his former attorneys nearly $500,000 in unpaid legal fees for work on various legal matters, including his fight against the subpoena by the Congressional Committee investigating the January 6th Capitol attack. Yes, he was deadbeating his own attorneys, wasn't paying his own attorneys. Are you shocked? The law firm sued Steve Bannon in February. His own law firm sued him, alleging he failed to pay his legal bills for the work that the lawyers did for him on the congressional investigation, as well as criminal investigations into his effort to crowdfund a wall along the southern U.S. border. You'll recall he faced a criminal indictment for that, for pocketing money from supporters of a private build-the-wall effort who were promised that every dime that they donated would go to building that wall, the wall that Trump didn't build. But instead, Bannon and the founder of the group pocketed millions of those uh, dollars instead. Trump then pardoned him for that before leaving office while leaving the founder of the effort to face conviction on federal fraud charges. Because, of course. In a six-page order issued on Friday, Judge Arlene Bluth ordered Bannon to pay nearly $500,000 in unpaid legal bills, as well as, quote, reasonable legal fees to his former lawyers who brought the lawsuit. The judge granted the law firm's motion for summary judgment, saying there was no dispute that the sleazy Bannon she didn't say that. I said, <laughs> I said the part about this lease. Bannon signed a uh, retainer agreement with the law firm to cover multiple investigations beyond the uh, criminal investigation into the We Build the Wall fundraising matter. And that Bannon, quote, did not adequately assert that he timely objected to uh, various invoices. Defendant cannot receive the benefit of plaintiff's legal representation and then insist that he need not pay for it, the judge wrote. Moreover, the plaintiff, which is the law firm, also showed in reply that the defendant, that's Bannon, was actively seeking plaintiff's legal representation well after the time that the defendant allegedly told plaintiff to stop providing legal services. Stop. I don't need any more legal service. And then he went and asked for some more <laughs> legal service. Man alive, these guys are works of art. He was convicted, by the way, at trial of contempt of Congress for failing to respond to the House January 6th committee's subpoena. He's appealing that. Bannon has been sentenced to four months in prison for the uh, crimes related in that matter. But he doesn't have to go to jail pending his appeal for now. A grand jury in Manhattan has also now indicted Bannon on state charges tied to that same build the wall scheme that uh, plant, uh, Bannon uh, was pardoned for at the federal level. He has pleaded not guilty at the state level. So accountability uh, season just beginning. I do. Do I have time for one one more quickly? This is a good one. Mike Lindell's My Pillow Company is auctioning off hundreds of pieces of equipment and subleasing manufacturing space after several shopping networks and major retailers 
took the company's products off the shelves, according to the Minnesota Star Tribune. The uh, Minnesota-based manufacturer recently listed more than 850 surplus equipment items on the online auction site. K-Bids, sewing machines, fabric spreaders, forklifts, even desks and chairs are up for auction. Lindell said MyPillow has experienced a loss in revenue and the items are no longer needed since major retailers like Walmart, Bed Bath & Beyond said they will no longer sell MyPillow products it was a massive, massive cancellation, Lindell said in a phone interview on Monday. We lost $100 million from attacks by the box stores, the shopping networks, the shopping channels. All of them did cancel culture on us, he said. Actually, what they did on you, Mike, was free market. That's what they did on you. Funny how it's cancel culture when right-winger businesses face uh, accountability from consumers. But, you know, it's just free market when the right-wingers go after a company that they don't like. Just ask uh, Bud Light. The uh, auction uh, does not appear related to the $1.3 billion defamation lawsuit uh, by Dominion Voting Systems, which Lindell and MyPillow are both facing in federal court. In April, uh, meanwhile, an arbitration panel ruled that Lindell needed to pay $5 million to a software expert who disproved several of Lindell's claims in a Prove Mike Wrong contest. The guy did exactly that, but the sleazy Lindell, uh, just like Bannon, is uh, suing in hopes of not having to pay the winner of the contest that he set up. He claims that's uh, the smallest issue that he currently faces and that he will, quote, be vindicated in every single one of them. Good luck, Mike. I assume you're still sleeping well at night on your crappy pillows. <laughs> As noted, accountability season is just beginning at this point, but I'm enjoying it already. Green News Report is next on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The broadcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. Boy, howdy, even if we hadn't been uh, out of town off the air last uh, last week, you would have had a lot to cover in yes. this uh, upcoming... Yes, it is an insane boatload of stuff. It is indeed. Let's get to that insane boatload, otherwise <laughs> known as the Green News Report. Extreme dangerous weather has struck all over the country this summer. And across the world. Surge of global heat, fire, and floods shatter records from North America to Antarctica. Extreme heat in Europe killed at least 61,000 people last year. Plus... We have not seen rainfall like this since Irene. In some places, it will surpass even that. Torrential rains trigger catastrophic floods in U.S. Northeast and Europe. Good night, Irene. All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Now, experts say everyone can help cool the planet by just using less gas, energy, and water. Adriana? Great advice. 
Thank you. Great advice, Elise. Thank you. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, we step away for a week, and every record across the globe for heat and flooding and fires and everything else has been shattered. Nice going. Yeah. I blame you. <laughs> yes, please do. Okay. Might as well. Extreme weather disasters struck across the world, and the planet saw the hottest global temperatures in recorded history. First, Europe's climate service Copernicus announced that June 2023 was the hottest June ever recorded since the 1850s, breaking the previous record set back in 2019. Globally, ocean heat is setting new records, extending even deep down more than 6,000 feet. Off the coast of Florida, water temperatures have surged to as high as 95 degrees, harming marine life and corals and fueling extreme heat and humidity on land. 95 degrees in the ocean water off of Florida. Yes, and off the coast of Antarctica, levels of sea ice have plummeted to new record lows. Of course. And then last week, the planet saw its hottest day ever recorded on July 3rd and then broke that record on four consecutive days. That's according to unofficial data from the U.S. National Centers on Environmental Prediction. The University of Maine found the world has rapidly warmed over the past 44 years of satellite measurements and at least as far back as 1850 in the instrument record data gathered from around the planet. Paleoclimate experts say these temperatures are likely the hottest in 125,000 years. Other than that, everything's fine. The surge in global heating is driving simultaneous intense heat waves in the United States, China, and North Africa. Algeria hit a stunning all-time record overnight low of 103 degrees Fahrenheit. 103 overnight. Overnight. Another week-long stretch of extreme and potentially record-breaking heat is again forecast for Mexico and the U.S. Southwest. It's the second extended severe heat wave in as many weeks, with potentially historic temperatures 15 degrees above normal. A new study out this week calculated that last year in Europe, extreme heat killed at least 61,000 people. And the study authors warned that government strategies to cope with higher temperatures are not keeping pace with man-made global warming. And this year is supposed to be worse than last year. Yes. The spike in heat energy globally is also fueling a rash of extreme flood disasters across the world. Over just the last week, extreme torrential rainfall and deadly flash floods struck Spain, England, India, and Turkey. In the U.S. on Monday, intense rains triggered deadly historic flooding across Vermont and New York, where nine inches of rain fell in 24 hours. Now, climate scientists say the increase in extreme rainfall, flood, and heat events is driven by two primary factors. Humanity's ongoing emissions of heat-trapping gases from burning fossil fuels and the return of the warming El Nino climate pattern in the Pacific Ocean. In a press conference, U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres said limiting global temperature rise to no more than 1.5 degrees Celsius is still attainable, but he castigated governments for failing to speed up their climate action. The situation we are witnessing now is the demonstration that climate change is out of control. This is the moment in which we all need to assume our responsibilities. If we persist in delaying key measures that are needed, I think we are moving into a catastrophic situation. 
we are moving into a catastrophic situation. But there is some good news. Really? Really. China is on track to double its wind and solar capacity by 2025, achieving its renewable energy targets five years ahead of schedule. That is good news. And a new analysis in the journal Science has found that in the one year since its passage, President Biden's landmark climate law, the Inflation Reduction Act, is already measurably reducing U.S. greenhouse gas emissions. And the study confirms previous research, finding that the provisions and investments in the Inflation Reduction Act will drive down U.S. emissions by almost 50 percent by 2035. And will that be in time? No, but it's a very good start. I didn't think so. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today because we didn't have the heart, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Good night, Irene. Good night, Irene. I'll see you in my dreams. Yeah, thank you very much, Desi Doyne. In fact, uh, that storm actually did, uh, yes, it did. eclipse Hurricane Irene it in did. several ways, it didn't did. it? It did. The flooding in Vermont has surpassed the level seen during mm. Hurricane Irene in 2011. And it just reminded me that we were on the air when the... Uh, Hurricane Irene was causing yeah. so much flooding yeah. in Vermont. We were back guest- in 2011. Yes, back in 2011, we were guest hosting for the Mike Malloy show, mm-hmm. and uh, you, mm-hmm. we actually spoke with a Vermont emergency manager. Who yep. you know, I remember, you asked him, "How are you doing? How are the first responders doing?" And he he almost broke down in tears. It sounded like yeah. when he was describing how hard it is for first responders trying to save other people while they know their own families and their own homes are also um, at mm, risk. Yeah, indeed. That was also in the middle of the night. I remember it well. Thank you for that reminder, actually. Only 12, a dozen years ago or so. Yeah. Uh, But now that's been eclipsed, apparently, in Vermont. All right. We got to get out. Uh, My thanks again to our producer, Desi Doyen, to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other we have ever done since the beginning of time, including that episode of Mike Malloy from 2011, (laughs) if you can find it, uh, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. All of this made possible by you folks kind enough to stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help keep us on your public airwaves. Drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. On the Facebooks, Twitters, and Mastodons, I am the Brad Blog. We'll see you there until we see you here tomorrow with, I think, Mark Joseph Stern. Yes. That's it. Good luck, world. Irene, good night. Irene, good night. Good night, Irene. Good night, Irene. I'll see you in my dream. Good night. I'll see you in my dream. Good night. I'll see you in my dream. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1918. That was the day machinist John Connolly was fired from General Electric's Sprawling River Works in West Lynn, Massachusetts. Firings of several more labor activists prompted 14,000 workers, 40% of them women, to walk off the job and flood the ranks of the IAM and the IBEW. The newly established War Labor Board emboldened GE workers. They looked to the board for help 
help in beating back yellow dog contracts and to organize bona fide unions. A metal trades council had finally been established at the GE plant in Schenectady, New York. Workers hoped to do the same at Lynn. After Connolly's discharge, GE managers fired another 14 activists three days later. As Joseph McCartan describes in his book, Labor's Great War, thousands of outraged workers met the evening of the firings and determined there was nothing left to do but strike. The walkout began the following Monday. David Montgomery describes the scene in the fall of the House of Labor, writing, quote, Early in the afternoon, union sound trucks outside the building blared fighting songs and called to down tools. Within an hour, the GE Riverworks were empty. The strike lasted three weeks. In that time, strikers defeated attempts at arbitration, demanding the board rule on their behalf as it had done for GE workers in Schenectady. In October, the board adjusted wages, ordered reinstatement of all but two of the fired workers, and established minimum pay for women. It also ordered the election of shop committees. Lynn Riverworks was now 95% organized. Victory was short-lived, however. In the post-war period, Unions at GE and elsewhere were summarily defeated in vigorous open shop drives across the country. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show.